Okay, so let's do this. Another episode of Person of Interest with me, Natalie Jones. Welcome back, y'all. Today we have Dr. Tim Spector. He is a very accomplished doctor, um, MD by trade. He started his career studying arthritis, um, particularly rheumatoid arthritis. He's an epidemiologist and research scientist. He's studied twin studies a lot, genetics, and how your genes um, are affected by different foods. He kind of got into this because he had a stroke himself when he thought he was a very healthy human. Then he went and figured out why, what was going on. A lot of stuff in his body, and we found in most humans, a lot of sickness and illness is caused by inflammation. Inflammation is a direct result of our gut microbiome, which is pretty much all of how healthy your organs are and how healthy your insides are, which is directly affected by your foods that you're eating. What's great about his impact, you know how I'm a health and wellness buff, and especially um, I'm a fitness freak. You know, I just love moving that bod. And with my history with eating disorders or whatnot, what I love the most about this guy is that he's debunking all diet myths. Primarily saying that just because someone you know is a vegan and works well for them doesn't mean it's going to work well for you. Just because someone you know lost a bunch of weight on keto doesn't mean that primarily it's going to be good for your body. And how your body processes foods is very different than your neighbor, different than your brother, different than your cousin. And individualizing nutrition and health and wellness is his thing, and I do believe it is the wave of the future. So I am a natural Luddite, as I say in this podcast, meaning that I'm not really that into a lot of this AI technology I'm not into, but this I love. Dr. Tim Spector, um, uh, 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 let's see, he's written two books, two, two that um, really pertain to today's episode, The Diet Myth and his most recent Spood Fed. You can both get those on Audible wherever you get your audio books. Um, and on, in conjunction with that, he is leading the way in Zoe. Zoe is a um, company where you do a body test on yourself. I'm currently wearing a blood glucose monitor that I scan with my phone all throughout the day. Also on this journey, I took a stool sample and a blood test of my own and sent in to their lab and where they're going to test, do all these different tests on these um, all these tests that I'm doing and just see what foods I'm really sensitive to, how my hormones are going to connect to them, and what foods my body can't really handle. And I am all for this because I have tried everything. I love manipulating um, food and nutrition to see what works best for my body and to perform as highly as I can, you know? Isn't it great? Inflammation is the number one cause of disease in the world and the number one disease in America that's killing everybody is heart disease. Heart disease is caused by inflammation. Through finding out what, by individualizing foods and nutrition, you can find out what foods are going to work for your body. And Zoe is one of the many businesses that are doing that today. We got to talk with Dr. Tim Spector. He's the guy behind it all. He is very accomplished. He's written five novels. He is really specializing in COVID relations in the U.K., He's all over the place. Google him. We are very, very, very humbled and honored to have him today and enjoy. We spoke for 90 minutes. This is the first about 35. Episode two in this series will be released here in a couple days. So I took this opportunity. I opened it up to y'all, to listeners and followers of what specific questions you had for him. 
We talk about Zoe a little bit and his whole methodology behind the big picture, but we also got down to the nit and gritty and all of your questions. So follow along. Episode two is coming up next, but uh, I'm going to stop talking here. Y'all enjoy Dr. Tim Spector. Well, I am actually, I'm on day four of Zoe, so I am not exercising. I just ate my muffins. I ate my muffins yesterday and my body did not like it at all. It did not go well. My belly looked like I was pregnant and I was incredibly nauseous. And I had um, a volleyball game last night and it was, it was tough, man. It was tough. But it's, yeah, well, um, it reminds you what, it reminds you what the old days were like, you know, of uh, when, when you didn't care about what you used to eat. And uh, yeah, it's what, uh, that's what most people eat though, is things like that. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. You know what? A couple of weeks ago we had um, a meeting scheduled and I canceled because I was feeling the exact way that I felt last night, but a little worse. There was there were a couple of days, and I never figured out what it was I was eating that out of nowhere made me feel horrible. It stopped me in my tracks. And so I'm incredibly excited now to find out what it is through the testing. And I put my blood work in um, in the mail last night as well, as long as as well as the sample from the day before. So this is so cool. I'm very excited you've, about it. We've done the toughest three days. It gets easier now. It's you know. <laughs> It's a fair bit of work initially, but now it's um, the rest is a breeze. And you've got your your glucose monitor on, have you now? I do. Yep, it's on right here, and uh, I've been doing that all over the place. I really don't understand blood like the levels. I've been looking into it to try to figure out what makes them shoot up and down, and I still haven't really figured it out. Here, look, I'll do it right now. I'm do it through my shirt. Well, it, 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 eating a muffin, 96. eating a muffin should make it shoot up. It's at ninety six now. Is that good? Uh, that's fairly average. There's not, nothing much happening there. So, you know, you need, you know, you need to uh, drink some Coke or, uh, you know, get some, uh, test the system a bit. You're perhaps too healthy. Okay. <laughs> uh, last night it went down to like 83 and then it's been up to 120. So maybe I'm just... Okay, well, you've got to see how high you can get it. You know, you've got to push it. you got to see how high I can get it? Well, you know, this is your chance to really experiment. So... Ah. You, you don't want to be just completely, you know, you want to say, well, you know, this is my favorite naughty food, you know, um, if I eat this, what's going to happen? So, you know, it, you know, it, the whole idea is this, this, while you've got that monitor on, which lasts, you know, about 10, 12 days, it's your chance to experiment, do the things that you couldn't normally do yourself, work out, you know, if you eat three of these cookies, you know, can it get your sugar up or, you know, is there enough fat in it that it doesn't affect you or, um, you know, eating stuff together with a meal or as a snack, is that different? All kinds of things you can do uh, to, to play with it. Once you once you get the hang of it, you need the first few days to get the hang of understanding those sugar levels and what goes up, what goes down, you know, and how things change during the day, etc. But yeah, treat it as a fun experiment that you can do. And everyone's different, you know, that's the key thing there. Yeah, that's the exciting part about it. Can we, well, let's talk about blood sugar levels in general. And um, can you give me just like a basic rundown of how to understand what's going on when they shoot up and when it's bad and how to regulate that? Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about sugar levels. So you're wearing a, a blood glucose monitor, which mm -hmm. has a tiny little filament in it that picks up signals in your blood that tell gives you an idea of how much sugar is floating around in your circulation. And every time you eat, 
something with sugar in it, carbon, it gets absorbed usually in about 30 minutes and that sugar will start to appear in your blood and as it goes up then your insulin level also go up so that's that's what's happening at the same time and you can see that in real time on your phone which is amazingly cool because this is you know total amazing new technology and it doesn't hurt or anything it's not like having you know, someone's bleeding you every uh, five minutes mm -hmm. so you get a real life thing of what's happening in your your body when you're just exposed to to most food with carbs in it and so what we believe is that uh, everyone has a peak after eating but usually the insulin works well keeps the peak to a minimum gets it back to baseline okay so no harm done you know you, you had your snack insulin level up go down now what happens is some people if they're eating too many snacks or getting too much sugar over time the peaks start to get bigger because the response of the insulin to drive it down doesn't work as well and so it start your body starts to get a bit tired your insulin's not working quite as well the peaks get bigger and that causes more stress on the body so each one of itself isn't a major problem but long term that causes stress and inflammation and a build up of bad stuff bad metabolism over over years okay so that's the that's the concept here so what we're trying to do here is work out what your normal sugar peaks are after food and then give you advice based on how you respond uh, about which foods you should rank in order to give you the least peak but still the most pleasure out of eating them okay that's the sort of very simple concept to what we're trying to do here is keep keep sugar peaks to a minimum improves the general stress to your body preserves the insulin so you're less likely in you know 20 years time to get diabetes but also prevents inflammation and we believe it also reduces uh, weight gain so the evidence that these these stressful peaks of sugar mess up your metabolism so you're more likely to gain weight so these are all good reasons to suppress your sugar and that's that's one part, that's one third of the trilogy really that we're looking at with Zoe and um, that's it's the easiest to understand really uh, the sugar peak is that is that clear before we go into the other ones <laughs> yes it is interesting factors what I love about um, your angle is that it's not stop eating this stop eating this everybody is different and I think you just described it really well and that it's all about the baseline blood sugar levels and that is what is the most important in each body and when it comes to inflammation and health well not so much the baseline it's the because that's the old way of thinking the baseline that's what your doctor used to do and say come into the lab you know when you've been fasting and we'll take a blood sample right mm -hmm. but then we don't see big differences between people but when we actually did this study in the predict study of a thousand people where we gave everyone the same muffin the same horrible muffin you hated right um, we got in normal people an eightfold difference in their sugar response. So the range of how high it could go from the same level was eightfold. So we learn much more on your differences between people on how you respond to food than what your baseline bloods are, you know, in a, in a routine lab. And I think that's the key here. That's the real um, step change in our thinking that 
it's the response to food that's so different and this the response to food is is what gives us our metabolism and our health not some baseline level that doesn't change very much but was easier for doctors to understand so i think that's that's the big concept and the same is true we think for blood fats so i said we've talked about blood sugars but we also in the zoe program measure your blood fat at six hours after you've had a fatty meal because sugars gets released quickly into the blood fats take much longer and we want our fats to we need fats they're good but we want to leave the blood quickly so they don't cause damage to our arteries and again cause stress and inflammation and some people like me uh, the fat hangs around too long okay and it and that means it breaks down into little particles and those particles get stuck in the vessel walls and that causes long-term health problems, heart disease, diabetes, but also this chronic inflammation, this stress that we, we're trying to avoid, which is a problem for our metabolism. So that's the other part of the equation. You can't just look just at how you respond to sugars because we all need to eat fats as well. And there's no point telling everyone to have a high fat diet if actually they can't get rid of the fats uh, as well as other people. So that's why it's, you've got to get this balance right and the third part of it, of course, is the microbiome, is measuring how the gut microbes are and, and uh, what the general state of health is there. So we put these three things together, and that's the holistic idea of how we create these personalized scores for each food for you. And I think it's, it is complicated, but we can't get away from the fact that actually food, nutrition, and health is also complicated. Yeah. And we've, we've been trying to oversimplify it for far too long by pretending it's all about calories and it's all about nasty fats uh you know and uh just uh, not doing enough exercise which is complete bs so really? we're going to embrace the complexity embrace the fact that we're all different and embrace the technology that can help us understand it do you think that in american culture that we that we're ever going to embrace the complexity of it and that the majority of people are going to learn and ever know the knowledge that they need in order to support and empower their empower themselves and their own health i think most people would be happy to just have an app that tells them what to do yeah but um, not everybody has the access to apps well i think most people you know i i, I see that you know zoe is sort of pioneering what i think is going to be mainstream in a few years time that just like we would use an Uber app, you know, if we're out on the town, everyone now knows how to use an Uber app. They don't know exactly how it works and how they manage to track everything and put it all together, but they're quite happy to use it to make their life uh, easier and, uh, and potentially safer. So I think it's the same sort of concept. Some people will want to know what's behind it and probably the, the initial users are much more clued up. So the, the early adopters of these things generally do want to know what's going on, the health hackers, um, people like that. But hopefully as, as this, this grows, I think people will just uh, hopefully trust the science behind it and accept what they, they see on the uh, app as long as they get good results. And, you know, that's <laughs> the proof is it, the proof is generally in the pudding. You know, if on the Uber yeah. app, no, no, no cab ever arrives, you know, you just say it's rubbish. So yeah. by the same means, if you follow all the advice that Zoe gives you on the app, 
and nothing happens, you'll throw it away. But you lose weight, you get more energy, you have uh, you know less problems with appetite, and you feel better, and your and your and your lab results are better in six months' time. You're going to recommend it, and that's you know that's what's uh, happening at the moment with our early results. So hopefully, it's I'm definitely having a great time on it. And as a tragic luddite myself by nature, I am loving all this technology that I'm usually like, ah, it's easy, exercise more, eat less. So um, okay, so let's talk about how you feel. Let's just when it comes to plant-based diets and improving your gut health. What are some tips you can give people in order to easily, when they walk into a grocery store, things they can pick up to easily improve their gut health? Okay, well, I've got four main tips, which hopefully are easy to, um, uh, to remember. Perfect. And what I try and tell people is to eat, try and eat 30 different types of plant a week. Okay. Now, okay. most people go, oh, my God, I, you know, I couldn't possibly do that. But what about supplements wise or um, I take a lot of powders in my smoothie in the morning. Does that count? Um, it wouldn't be top of my agenda. I'd say let's try and do this naturally first. OK, okay. you can add those on at the end. Okay. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't rely on those. Um, and but it's not as hard as it sounds, because every nut, every seed every herb is a plant, okay. okay? So if you just think about food in a way that is, you know, you wanna add as many different plants to every meal as you can. That means putting plenty of garnish on it, sprinkling lots of nuts and seeds on your, on your salads or your yogurt in the morning. It's not that hard, okay? So that's, because we found that in our studies of 11,000 people in the UK and the US, People who had that as part of their regular diet had the healthiest microbes. So that's a pretty good rule to go with. The second rule is if you are picking plants, uh, pick ones that are high in polyphenols, okay? That sounds complicated, but that's a, a fancy name for what we used to call antioxidants. Mm -hmm. And it's these just the chemicals in plants that protect them. And it turns out these chemicals are highest in plants that have the brightest colors. So it's really about picking colorful plants, berries, nuts, seeds, things with strong flavors. So uh, it's brightly colored lettuce, cabbage, it's those blueberries, it's raspberries, uh, it's things with strong tastes like coffee. Coffee has one of the highest polyphenol counts. So most people don't think of that as a health drink, right? No, but, not at all. You know, you, you're getting not only uh, plant, you know, that's that counts for one of your plants a week. Uh, you're getting fiber and you're getting bags of polyphenols in that. And this is really important for people to start changing the way they think about foods and, and think of it in a sort of microbe way rather than a nutrition, you know, old fashioned calorie way. So coffee, dark chocolate. I don't know if you like dark chocolate or not. Yes, uh, not, not Hershey's, but, you know, this is the uh, greater than 70%. That's also that bitterness, that's, that, that's the polyphenols. Uh, high quality olive oil is another one. Uh, and even red wine, uh, it has, because of the grape skins, has uh, polyphenols in it. Third one is uh, fermented foods. Okay, and we can come back to this uh, if we wanna talk about fermented foods, but a small amount of regular fermented foods 
which is natural probiotic, is good for your gut health. People who do that have the healthiest gut microbes. You don't need a lot, but you do have to have a small amount regularly. And that can be you know, full fat yogurt with no additives. It can be kefir, which is fermented milk, kombucha, kimchi, sauerkraut. Uh, anything like that is good. And finally, cut out artificial chemicals, highly processed foods as much as you can. They're the four rules and the rest is the detail. And in a way, everyone needs to work out you know, their best way of doing that. So when it comes to quality of the foods that you're suggesting, how important is that when it comes to organic or not? And buying, like sometimes, you know, I'll buy strawberries that never, they'll be in, the, they, they never grow mold. In my mind, I'm thinking this, that can't be good. That can't be good at all. So do I just not buy strawberries or do I, what do I do in that? And I mean, and that's, I think that's, that's a common thread with most produce in our grocers. So what do we do? Yeah, we learn to diversify your choice. So we, we get stuck in ruts. You know, I'm the same as everybody. You know, if you take me to a, these supermarkets that have 30,000 different items, you still come back with the same 30 every week. You know, you're sort of, uh, you, we're not very adventurous because of the, there's in fact too much choice. So what I'd say is rather than getting uh, you know, frozen strawberries out that have been kept in a, you know, on hold that have no taste at all, that are, are genetically made purely to last long, uh, they probably, they lack nutrients and they lack polyphenols and they also lack taste. You know, it's, it's the quintessential uh, breakfast bar, you know, fruit salad tastes of nothing. And it's there because it looks good for weeks on end yeah. uh, nothing goes moldy. Yeah. But if you go, you know, down south, you go to California, Mexico, and you see real, you know, uh, fruits you, and you know what tastes good because they're in season. So try and buy things in season, farmers markets. Um, you know, if you can get organic, do, but it's not always easy. So I'm, I, you know, I personally vary. Um, I'm not fanatical about it but I do believe not the reason for getting organic is to avoid the pesticides and herbicides not necessarily the nutrients as much but it's it's about whether it tastes good as well um, so pick things that are in season that aren't bred just to last long and I think melon is the other thing in the US that's really tasteless uh, it's pretty pointless it's like eating an iceberg lettuce it has no nutrient value no. all it does is stay in your fridge for a month look, looking at you you know just saying do something with me but it it's absolutely useless whereas if you picked lettuces that you know the the italian varieties the ones with the red colors the rossololos uh anything with slightly more bitterness um you know these ones uh these ones are what you want to go for and even when you get a range of carrots now, you can now go to stores where you get um, dark colored purple carrots that come from uh, Iran. And you know, these are, and you can get uh, sweet potatoes that are dark colored purple potatoes. Mm -hmm. The extra color means that it's got many times more nutrients for your gut microbes. Generally, you know, I always recommend uh, scrubbing or washing them, but not peeling them if you can. Okay. Because 
a lot of the nutrients for your gut is in the is in the is in the skin, and I think we've got a bit out of that habit uh, because we're worried about infections and things. But um, it, it turns out that most of the herbicides uh, penetrate under the skin anyway, and so you're going to be you're going to be eating them anyway. So you might as well get the goodness from the skin uh, okay. rather than pretending you're getting rid of it. So how bad are pesticides and herbicides that are in all of our food? I, we're all scared of them now. Um, should we, should, uh, how much are they affecting our gut biome? And how, what is the level of severity that they're actually doing to our bodies? Well, strangely, there isn't, there isn't really good data on this. Mm. Uh, there's quite a lot of data in mice, but you know, humans are not mice. So um, I don't want to exaggerate it, but I do think that because we are basically ingesting this chemical pretty much every day of our lives, it only has to have a small incremental effect to, to affect us. So I believe it does have a modest effect on our gut microbiome, um, but how much that affects our health, I don't know. There's the, there are these stories about it causing lymphomas, and there are several court cases in the US where they've successfully won cases against Roundup uh, for people who used to spray it a lot. But I think the only time I'd be really worried about it is uh, for very young children and um, pregnant mums, when I think uh, that's really a time to you know, splash out, go organic, try and reduce the amounts you're having. The other thing is it's quite hard to work out how much pesticide or herbicide is in each food. Um, people who have regular have oats for breakfast, for example, uh, are getting very 10 times more herbicides than if they have corn. Uh, and so people think these things are you know, healthy, but some people would have a lot of some items which just contain, lots of breakfast cereals contain huge amounts of these pesticides. So at the moment, you know, I'm just cautious, but there isn't really the, the really hard data uh, to back it up. Um, but, you know, I, I wish there was more organic choice um, that we, we, could, we could point to without it, you know, costing a lot. It, yeah. it does, the more demand there is, the cheaper it will get. So the more of us do go out and make an effort to support those stores that do organic, the cheaper it's going to be, you know, next year. Um, okay, let's get to these questions. I have some specific random questions. What foods are good for recovery? When it comes to like after yoga, running, biking, et cetera, what are some foods you can eat afterwards that are going to be good to support your recovery process? Okay, so we're talking about short-term recovery here. Um, again, I, the data on this doesn't support the current models and most of the commercial sports drinks. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think this is... So when you look at the data carefully and cut out the fact they're sponsored by often, you know, all those sports drink manufacturers, there's, you know, the evidence that you need protein after your meals, uh, there's some suggestive evidence, but you're probably just as well um, having protein uh, if you're doing a lot of exercise in the form of plant protein rather than animal protein, or you, you, you know, rather than taking these uh, whey supplements which I think are very are dangerous, but a lot of bodybuilders and, and a lot of uh, gym users go for them. I think you're better off just having some eggs in your diet or, um, uh, you know, or things like mushrooms or 
um, legumes that have high levels of protein in them. I don't think there's anything specific. And I feel that uh, as the science is weak on this, because most of the studies are in, you know, 10 people or so, it's very hard to draw uh, conclusions. My, my guess is that everyone responds differently. And just as we found in the Zoe studies that people, some people who exercise before eating uh, do better and others who exercise after eating do better on their blood sugars, I think we're going to find that each person can have a recovery regime that's going to differ for them. Okay. So I think people just need to experiment. I don't think the data is really good. You've got to keep an open mind and find out what works for you. Uh, most people are not protein deficient. So actually that's, that's a bit of a marketing thing that all the companies have got now, giving these protein snacks. Uh, we get quite enough protein. Uh, you know, might be some countries in Africa that don't get enough protein, but you know, we in the US, we get plenty of protein, so you know. Okay. <laughs> How do you feel about probiotics? Probiotics, um, well, there's two types of probiotics. One is a supplement. And one is natural in foods. So okay. I'm 100% for probiotics in foods mm -hmm. and the yogurts and the kefirs we've talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, as for supplements in general, if, you, if you're unwell, the evidence is broadly that they do help. Okay. The, so most of the meta-analyses do show that firstly uh, in trials, they do get into your gut you can measure the microbes and they improve things to some extent, not massively. And it does vary between people, but if you take the broad view um, for things like you know, everything from irritable bowel syndrome to anxiety and depression. Um, Leaky gut. Uh, well, that's very hard to define. So, but I mean, gastro issues. Yes. So uh, part of IBS, you know, if you've got, more the diarrhea, that kind of thing, they can certainly help some people. They don't always help everybody. And this comes back to the point that often most probiotics just have a few ingredients. Mm -hmm. So they would have, you know, at most, you know, between one and three different microbes in there. And we're all so different in our gut microbes, we might not respond to those particular ones. So in the future, I can see us wanting personalized probiotics that suit our gut rather than just happen to be the ones that are patented and uh, you know have been approved by the FDA for for this kind of use. So we we have a very limited number of these probiotics, and they suit some people but not others. So again, I think experiment and work out. But you know, I do think if you're recovering from an illness, um, you've had upsets, tummy, um, uh, or a bit, you're very young or very elderly, probiotics you know, can be very helpful. Just, we also don't know which ones because there aren't enough studies of the same one. Uh, they're all competing with each other to know which brand might work and which, which, which don't. It, it, it's still a confusing space. So that, it's not a black and white answer, uh, but in general, I tell everyone, you can't go wrong if you try probiotics in food first, you know? And even if you're vegan, there are, you know, coconut, kefir options, kombucha options. There's lots of ways that anyone can get uh, natural fermented stuff into them and they can make it themselves a lot cheaper than you buy probiotics from the chemist. You know? 
So after, can you take too many probiotics? Um, probably. <laughs> but um, they usually get flushed out. Um, but uh, I don't think anyone's done that study to see how many probiotics are, are you, is the most anyone's taken. Maybe you can do that one. <laughs> Maybe well, somebody asked me to ask you that, so I had to do it. So when it comes to um, taking antibiotics and um, over-the-counter NASDs or NAIDs, what you know what I'm talking about? Um, Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, NSAIDs, yeah. Yes. How much damage are they doing to our bodies actually, and will probiotics help repair that damage? Um, well, as a rheumatologist, I used to spend my life prescribing them okay. for arthritis. So uh, I, know, I know that they can do a lot of good uh, as well as a lot of harm. And, you know, some people are, seem to never get any problems with them. And, you know, I've taken them for 30 years and it gets them out of bed in the morning and they can function normally. Other people can just take them for a week and get real problems. So, again, we have this personalization about about them um, I don't think there are good studies not that I know of but uh, that have, have really looked at uh, non-steroidal gastric issues and probiotics um, but in general if your microbiome is in a good place we think that that reduces side effects of most drugs and we okay. do know we because uh, Many, many drugs, including non-steroidals, have an interaction with your gut microbes. Uh, you know this for particular drugs, anti-diabetes drugs. Um, we know this for uh, anti-gastric drugs like omeprazole. We know this for antidepressants, that sometimes the bugs are needed to convert the chemical in the drug to something, some other chemical. And people have different microbes, therefore they have different chemicals floating around. So there's a, there's a really complex interaction between your bugs and your gut microbes, which again, explains why uh, people respond differently to medications, why some people get side effects and others don't. And that's why I think we've got it a bit wrong, always saying, well, you know, everyone takes this, gets this side effect, or uh, we haven't really looked into why some people get them and some people don't. So if you can improve your gut health, then in general, you're going to get less side effects from the variety, most common drugs. I think that's that's fairly clear. And people who uh, have poor gut health tend to get uh, worse reactions to medication, and that's why they get in a bit of a, a vicious circle. You know, they're on multiple medic multiple medications, they're multiple diseases, and they get worried about eating because they're worried about reflux and all kinds of allergies. And so their diet gets worse, their microbiome gets worse, and then they they don't respond as well to the medication. So I think it's really important just to sometimes take a step back and say, hang on, you know, maybe I just need to stop everything, think again, and focus on uh, improving my gut health as the number one uh, thing okay. I should do. Well, are these drugs, are um, antibiotics doing as much damage to our bodies as that, that I'm reading on Web WebMD, for instance? And you can Google anything, and I've read that they're just destroying your gut health. Is that true? Again, uh, on average, they, yeah, they definitely cause a lot of collateral damage. Uh, and in the US, probably 
only one in four prescriptions is really necessary. So there's a lot of unnecessary antibiotics given, things that were going to get better anyway or were viruses. Um, it was overkill, you know, and there's become a sort of, you know, the average American by age of 18 has had 20 courses of antibiotics. You know, it's quite frightening. Yeah. Average, you know, uh, even toddlers, you know, up to the age of three have had, you know, three or four courses. So on average. Um, so there's much too much of it. And again, we see that some people are tolerant to antibiotics, but others, it can be really devastating. It can take a year after one course for their microbes to recover. Others are back to normal in a month. So again, again, it, it's very hard for me to tell everybody out there what's going on. I think you just can be aware of the, of the different scenarios and realize, well, you know, how, it's hard for the normal person to know without testing themselves all the time. But it's always, it's good to know what the worst case scenario is before accepting any medication. And if you are on antibiotics, first thing to do is to make sure that you're on the optimal diet while you're on it and while you're recovering from it. And that means doing everything you can to, you know, keep your bugs happy as they're being attacked by the, uh, by these antibiotics. So you can rescue them as quickly and they can recover as quickly. And the, you know, good diet definitely helps. Uh, and most, but not all studies show that probiotics help. Okay. Right. OMG, we are just so lucky to be asking him as many questions as possible. I'm actually going to be doing a second interview with Tim after my Zoe journey is over. If you have any more questions, Natalie at WKRQ.com or get at me at on all my socials is at Nat Jones with three O's. And if you would like to learn more about Tim Spector, Google his name. Also go to joinzoe.com. You can follow along on Twitter at Tim Spector, on Instagram at Tim.Spector. That's S P E C T O R. And then on Instagram for Zoe as well, it's at Join Zoe. All these food myths we are debunking, we're going on this journey. We have episode two coming up here soon. We talk nutrition, all the things good for your body. I ask a lot of personal questions. My family suffers from a neurological disorder. My mom has sp spinocerebellar ataxia. We talk about that and uh, certain ways you can help yourself. Nutrition, <laughs> nutrition equals health, which equals wealth. Health is wealth. Let's get our guts on track, everybody. And I think what's really powerful is when Tim says, learning that nutrition is kind of complex and it's different for everybody. And, and as soon as you embark on your journey of empowering yourself, to take nutrition back into your own hands so you can provide for yourself and your family. That is the wave of the future. Wow! Next episode with Dr. Tim Spector coming up soon. And again, if you have any more questions, Natalie at WKRQ.com and on all the socials at Nat Jones with three O's, babes. Welcome to mile 5033. The first mile of the first road trip with you and your newborn. Thankfully, your Hyundai Tucson has an available 10.25 inch infotainment screen so you can seek out the soothing sounds of nature to keep your kid calm or whatever else babies are listening to these days. And with available wireless device charging, your phone will stay powered up so you can ask the internet why the baby just made that weird gurgling sound at mile 5062 or that scrunchy face 
at mile 5,103. Because when it comes to navigating the new roads in life, we're thinking of every mile. The new Hyundai Tucson, it's your journey. Test drive the new Tucson at your nearest Hyundai dealer or learn more at HyundaiUSA.com.